0: that we want to look at the parables of Jesus Christ. There's so many parables. There's actually 57 parables in the New Testament that Jesus is given. Three of which are in the book of Luke chapter 15. And out of those three, one of them stands out above all the rest. And the reason it stands out above all the rest is because it speaks so intimately to those that are Christians. And that is the parable of the prodigal son. It's not actually called that in the Bible, but it's described as that because prodigal simply means one that wastes his life or his possessions with a careless living. And so they defined it as the prodigal son. But it's a beautiful story. Everything Jesus does is a beautiful story because he uses what's called parables. And parables are narratives that break down things from plants to animals to humans to bring across an emphasis, a point, something that we can grow and learn from. But when he gets to this one, it becomes really, really personal. Because family is personal. How many would testify, you know family is personal? There's things you can say about family members that people would be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you just said that. But if somebody else said it, it's, you're going you're gonna to fight over it. Because when you have a personal relationship with family, you get away with things that other people can't get away with. Well, Jesus knew that this would be personal for the people that are standing amongst the crowd because they that were there had some had sons, some had daughters, some had sons and daughters. There's fathers and mothers and they could relate to this. And he wanted it to be so relatable that they walk away and they think beyond a earthly father or earthly mother. So that's why it's such a beautiful story because it is in reference to God, which is the heavenly father, and us as the children of God that are born into the family of God, Christians, if you would. Now, I, 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 know, and I know there's debate. There's some people that have actually said that this may be talking about somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And then they come to know Jesus Christ and come into the family of God. I don't believe that's true at all. I believe this is literally somebody that is represented, that is a Christian that has a relationship with God, if you would. It's all symbolic, okay? And then he gets away from the Father. Lives life his way, and then eventually comes back to the father after some things have happened. So in Luke chapter 15, and in verse 11, Jesus gives this beautiful picture about a family. And he says there's a father, and he had two sons. One was older, one was younger. The younger was this individual that had this idea that something's bigger and better out there for him. He's got it all figured out. And so Jesus emphasizes that the younger wanted everything he could possibly get from the father at that very, very moment. And what that means is simply this, his inheritance. So I want everything that you owe to me, and I want it right now, and I don't want to invest it. You know what I mean about investing you know, because that creates a better future. He said, I'd rather just consume it. <laughs> I'd rather have it and rather enjoy it. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's no doubt when I was about 17, 18, 19 years old, I was to a point in my life that I realized that I wanted to get out of the house and I wanted to leave Somerville, Alabama. Imagine that. You know, Somerville had so much to offer, but I was ready to leave the little post office in Foodland that was down the road and do something bigger with my life. So, you know, I ended up going to Knoxville, Tennessee and going to college. But I didn't realize what was in store for me in Knoxville, Tennessee, and the responsibilities that would be upon me because I'm on my own now. And now I no longer have my father. I no longer have my mother. I mean, everything's on me, and that was a sheer reality. Let me put it this way. We're on vacation. We're in Clearwater. And I had this idea because Ellie loves to get uh, golf carts, right? It's her thing. My daughter, Ellie. <clears throat> Dad, let's get a golf cart. We cruise around for whatever reason, like old people in whatever area we're in, like this one was Clearwater, Clearwater Beach, and so I said, "What if we just change it up and get a fun cart?" She goes, "Oh, I love that idea." She said it just like that, the same voice and everything. No, I'm just kidding. She's like, "I love that idea. Let's get a fun cart." I said, "So she's at Starbucks. I'm at uh, I'm at the rental place, and I rented the fun cart. And so she had this idea of what she thought the fun cart was, but her idea was not the same as my idea because she was completely misunderstood. She didn't get it. So she comes around the corner. And I said, come over here. I got the fun cart. I, don't, I think I have a picture of the fun cart. This is the fun cart. So she gets in. The, she's, when I saw her face, I knew she was being trying to be sweet. She's like, oh. So she gets in. It was so tight. It's like a motorcycle built into that little three-wheel vehicle. So. We take off, it's burning hot outside. We have this, and we had it for one hour. She goes, So, how long do we have this? And I'm like, One hour, it's gonna be great. And she's like, How much time do we have left? And then I realized this is not what she thought it was gonna be. And I said, Ellie, isn't this what you wanted? I mean, isn't this what you thought we were gonna do? And she goes, No, I didn't know a fun cart was this three wheeled vehicle. I thought it was the other one we saw at like Panama, Myrtle Beach. And I'm like, Oh, she thought it was a $40,000 slingshot that we were renting. There's a distinct difference between the fun cart, which was $6,000, and the $40,000 slingshot, which they don't even offer to rent, thank God, because I wouldn't have rented it anyway. But her expectations, her ideas were distinctly different than mine. See, the father had some expectations and ideas for the son that were distinctly different than the son had. The son looked at the momentary pleasures. The father looked at the future and the availability that he had for his son to grow and develop and have an incredible life. It wasn't lining up. So the father, because the son had free will, offered the kid the opportunity to take what he has, his inheritance, and go his way. And so Jesus explains this in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he had two sons, and the younger of them said unto the father, Father, give to me the portion of goods that falls to me. In other words, give me my inheritance. So the father didn't debate with him because the father loved his son and wanted him to learn. So the father said, okay, that's fine. So he divided unto his sons, both of them. He gave it to both of them. And the one chose to stay, which was the oldest, and the youngest said, I'm out of here. I'm out. And he left. And from there, the, the story begins. And it may be a story that you have convinced yourself you fully know. And maybe you do. But if you don't know this parable, you're about to learn it and all the necessities for us as Christians to understand how it relates to us as Christians and our Heavenly Father. You see, you've got a choice. You've got a choice. You've got a choice. You've got a choice. God knows all of us have a choice to make. You choose every day. I got up this morning, I had to choose between a monster drink and five shots of espresso at Starbucks. I know, it's a big choice. Mm -hmm. I made the wise decision to get five shots of espresso. I'll probably get the monster later. Just double up on it, all right? I have a choice. Now, that choice came with consequences because before I came back from the beach, I thought I'm going to give up some of this caffeine. That's a good choice, but guess when I came back, I made the free will choice of consuming the caffeine and I'm continuing my way. So I didn't make a wise choice, I don't think, but I still had a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. I love choices sometimes. I don't like choices when it comes to eating. On vacation, the worst thing is, where do you want to eat? How many are married? Raise your hand. How many wish you were married? All right, that was a test. Why'd you raise your hand? You are married (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Brittany's like, ah, just lingering a little bit behind there. But the, but he, here's the thing. The worst thing about being married is trying to figure out where to eat when you are married and you're out and about together. Where do you want to eat? I don't care. Yes, you do. Don't say that. That's the woman speaking. You do care. You very much care. Then you pick a place like the wonderful place called Taco Bell. It's like, no, I'm not going to eat there. There's no way I'm going to eat there. That's not even real meat. Well, who knows if it's real meat? All it is is it's good meat. That's all that matters. There's this debate But there was a choice to be made. I'm sorry, the greatest choice that you'll ever make is to serve Jesus Christ. Joshua said in the Old Testament, Choose you this day whom you will serve. I can't even believe he had to say it to the children of Israel because they were debating if they should serve false gods, idols, or if they should serve God. You know, the one, the true God that split the sea and done amazing, wonderful works. We're that kind of people. We're like, I see God do amazing things, but I think I'm going to choose to serve myself and do it this way and learn the hard way. That's that's the way we are. Well, here's the son representing us, and he makes a choice. Okay. The choice leads to a place called a pig pen. How many can relate to what a pig pen is? You've been in one. Have you ever been around a pig pen? You know where pigs go? Y'all with me? Y'all act like I'm from the city. I have no idea what you're talking about. Pigs go in a pen They do a lot of pooing and a lot of eating and a lot of stinking. And that's where they dwell. Well, we're going to see in this story, if you don't know the story, you probably can relate to this when we get to this point, that he got himself to a point in life that led to a pig pen. So I'm going to emphasize the pig pen. The pig pen is important to emphasize. I'm going to emphasize it and I'm going to explain this story like this. The pig pen of sin. And the first thing I want you to see is the pig pen of sin is far from home. So this guy... The young man, the boy, took his possessions, loaded up on whatever, the donkey, the horse, or the mule, and went into the city. But the Bible says here, when Jesus explains the story in verse 13, not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he gathered stuff, he took some time, he went on a journey into a far country. Now, the word far is important because he deliberately and intentionally chose to get as far away from God as he possibly can, or excuse me, his father, just like we do as Christians when we choose to take a different path than to go God's way. And so here he is, the pigpen of sin that we're going to see in a minute, is far from home. This is where he's going to end up in this pigpen because everything goes wrong. Don't want to spoil the story, but you probably know it already. Being far from home is really lonely. I don't know if you ever get homesick. But I'm going to confess something, and I don't even want to say it in front of Christian, my son, because he's going to hold this, and he's going to make fun of me, and that's fine. But my freshman year of college, when I went to Tennessee and I went to college at the Crown College of the Bible, and I was a Bible college student, I remember being in the dorm, and I was all alone, far from home, Somerville, Alabama. And I had this moment, it was an embarrassing moment, where I got very emotional, Now I'm on the bottom bunk. And I'm in the shadows. And they I didn't want anybody to see me because I started crying uncontrollably. I don't even know why, but I was missing home. I didn't miss my brother Tony or Denny. That pff, wasn't an issue. Maybe Christine and Dana because they're pretty cool, my sisters. Mom and dad definitely. But it was this moment of loneliness that I cannot even describe to you guys. And I know there's some times in your life that you can't even describe to people that you have a moment of loneliness and you could be surrounded by a lot of people. I've heard movie stars and pop artists say that they could have thousands of fans, but they feel all alone. And I'll tell you, the number one reason this happens in people's lives, number one reason, is because of sin. You say, well, maybe it's a medical disorder. It could be, but the number one reason that people feel alone is because they get far from God, and they get alone by themselves, and they have no outlet. And so he journeyed into this far country, and it separated him from his father and his family. Now, that's important because his father represented provision. His dad had everything he ever needed. I mean, that's provision. And when you get away from God, you get away from blessings, encouragement, and enjoy. I'm going to challenge you. No, I don't want to challenge you to do this. Please don't do this. But I want you to be challenged to pay attention when you find yourself getting away from God to notice how happy are you? How lonely are you? When you get away from God, far from home, from the Heavenly Father, and you don't have that father, and you don't have the family, the family represents purpose. It's kind of like church family. I, I heard somebody say, uh, this is such a small church, it's almost like a life group. Yeah, it is. It really is in so many ways, but it's still a family. We, we, life is better together. You've got to lean on one another. If you're trying to do life alone, then you're going to really stink at it. You just can't. And so when the, when the son got away from the father and far away from the home, it got lonely because he was away from the father and away from the, fa- uh, the, the family. That is the provision and that is purpose. Two reasons why people suffer with depression, anxiety, and frustration and don't get out of a dark place. Usually is because lack of purpose and lack of goals. And they go hand in hand. If you don't know your purpose, you're wandering through life without clarity. If you don't have goals, it's like throwing darts in the dark. You're aiming at nothing. You say, that's not biblical. It is very, very biblical. Because Paul had a goal. I pressed to the mark. He knew that his whole life had a purpose to serve and honor God. And every avenue of it was all based on missions. Focus, y'all. Because I said y'all like I'm back in Alabama. Focus, you guys. The reality is simply this. When you choose to take a different path from the Father... It will be lonely. It will separate you from your purpose. It will separate you from your provision of the Father. It will get lonely. And before you know it, you will end up in the portion of Scripture we're about to get to called the pig pen, and it doesn't end well. And I'm going to tell you, before you ever get there, it gets costly. So the Bible says that when he left, in verse 13, and went into the far country, he wasted his substance. That means his money, all that he had, all the investments he could have made with careless living. Now, this is interesting because he could have done anything with the money he was given. He had the potential to invest it, to use it because he was no longer with his dad. He was in the big city, but he didn't. And because of that, it cost him something. And I'm going to say this. It cost him his inheritance. The inheritance represented his future. The inheritance represented his future. Y'all with me? That's important for us because when we get far from the Father and we backslide or some say drift, you know, in the Christian life, you'll find out very quickly it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you. And it's going to cost you so much that you can never replace the things sometimes Satan takes from you. And one of those things is the future that God has in store for you. I've seen people so anxious to get in a relationship, they got in a toxic relationship, got married, wasted years of their life with the wrong person, and it never ended well. That's your future. The decisions you make right now determine your future. I'm going to tell you right now you want your kids to grow up to be right, then you need to train them to go right. It's a decision. You want a good marriage? Well, then you're going to have to put a little effort in it right now, right now, right now. You say, well, one day I'm going to retire. Well, I work with with Victor about retirement. I've learned something. What decisions I make right now on the money I invest will determine if I can retire in the future. Wow, that's something, isn't it? In other words, it's simply this. Everybody understand what you invest in spiritually, whether it be for yourself or for your Heavenly Father, will determine your future and where you will be in, in, in regards of being sinful, depressed, alone, and without God. It's going to cost you something else. It's going to cost you your testimony. When you get away from the Father, it's going to cost you more than your inheritance. It could cost you your testimony. In verse 30, the Bible says that he actually had relationships with, with prostitutes. He was wasting his money on everything. I'm going to tell you, we went on vacation. I keep on referring to vacation just because it relates, you know. We had this abundance of money for spending because we were staying less days than we usually do. And I'm like, there's no way we're going to spend all this money. It's amazing how careless you can be with the money you you have. We were in the mall, and I think it was the second to the last day, right? And we went by one of the, uh, one of these rooms, and it was just makeshift it was the young guy put it together and with airsoft guns and i'm like let's do this we're gonna hit these targets it's gonna be fun 10 bucks a pop we did one round we did another round i think we may even did a third round i don't remember but we're just spending i walked by this art that i could care less about christian found some sweet art over at the beach the guy made with spray paint and stuff and he bought it and i'm actually debating should i buy that I didn't even care about it, but because I had the availability, I wanted to be wasteful in my spending. I have it. Why not? Let's do it. But I feel like at times in our Christian walk, when you get far away from God, you can find yourself wasting so much potential that God has for you on the most ridiculous things, the most ridiculous relationships, the most ridiculous investments. And in the end, Your future is compromised, and the cost of it not only costs you your inheritance, but it also costs you your testimony. People begin to mark you and say, "Man, that guy's unstable. He's unpredictable. He's not a very good father. He's not a good husband. He's not a good wife. She's not a good wife." And they start looking at you differently because they know that you have thrown away everything for something that you just flew by the seat of your pants for. Let me say it this way: It takes a lifetime to get a testimony. I mean, you've got to strive for a good testimony. Nobody remembers how you start. They only remember how you end. That's the truth. It really is the truth. A person could live for God for 30 years, but in one day mess up his life and commit adultery, and it's all flushed down the drain. That's how easy it is. And it's amazing how quickly we could throw everything away for momentary pleasure. I've done it, and some of you have done it. Let me say this, let's move on, okay? The pigpin of sin also is filled with heartache. You see that it's far from home and it's lonely because you're away from the Father and your family and it gets costly and you waste your inheritance and your testimony goes down the drain. But when you get far enough away from the Heavenly Father, spiritually speaking, the pigpin of sin is filled with heartache. Look at the very next verse in verse 14 of Luke chapter 15. And when he had spent all, that is the worst place to be. I asked my wife, we have an app that we keep track of for spending when we're on vacation. And I say, how much do we have left? The worst feeling in the world is when she says, oh, we have like $50 left. Like, we got one more day. We will have to eat Taco Bell. You know, it's, that worst, it's the worst feeling when you have spent all. But it's even worse spiritually when you have nothing left to give. I mean, the world has sucked you dry. There arose a mighty famine. Oh, it just got worse. I mean, I've spent all, and now there's a famine? So this kid is in the middle of nowhere. He has no money. He has no inheritance. Everything's a pawn shop, pawned everything. And now there's a famine in the land. And then he began to be in want. And that word want is speaking of physical want. I need something, and I need it now because I am starving. Is everybody on the same page with me so far? I hope so because this is where we're going. He became famished. He was so famished and he was so hungry because of the famine that was in the land that he was desperate. You get deep enough in sin, you're going to become desperate to fill this need that you have with whatever you can fill it with. You're like, I know this is the worst decision to be in this relationship, and I know it's toxic. And it even, the guy even carries a name tag that says, I'm horrible, but I think I'm going to go for it. I think I'm just trying. I'm so desperate and lonely. I just don't know what else to do. You get to the point where you're trying to fulfill the needs of your life with the weirdest things. And it could be social media. It could be friends. And I say friends, and I want to be careful with this because we immediately think of teenagers and young kids. But the reality is, as friends have just as much of an influence on an adult as it does a child or a relationship. But here's the point. I want you to get this. When you are starving because sin has robbed you of everything and you're famished... You will look for whatever you can look for to fulfill it. And sometimes those are good things. Sometimes it's a podcast. Sometimes it's a counselor. Sometimes you might need medication. I'm not going to go into that. I'm not a doctor. But I'll say this. Sometimes, and most of the time, it's because you got so far away from God that you can't even see where you used to be. You don't even realize what you don't have anymore in your life because you've forgotten. And now you're desperate. You're desperate to be happy. I, I, <clears throat> I'm not a drinker, never have been. Thank God, don't think you should be. But even as an individual that don't drink, I'll find myself using some substance. I joke around about Starbucks because Starbucks caffeine makes me feel pretty good. If I'm having a bad day, I want something to make me just feel better. Sometimes I take a country drive and that's not a bad thing. But I'm telling you, you can only fulfill that hole in your life for so long with other things. Eventually, you got to realize I'm far away from God. My devotions stink. I never pray. I never read the Word of God. I have nobody in my life that's a positive influence. Everything is wrong. And all that I have that's wrong is trying to fulfill this emptiness. I'll tell you, I've been so hungry after fasting or a diet that I'm going to eat whatever I can eat just to satisfy me. All right? The worst thing in the world to do is to go shopping, grocery shopping, when you're hungry. It's the worst decision, especially for men. I get all the garbage, and I throw it in the cart, and then I pay for it, and I eat that stuff. I'll eat beef jerky, and I'll eat chunks of cheese, chunks of cheese, big chunks of cheese that mice would have love love to have in their life. I'm talking about junk. I love Cheez-Its. I'd eat Cheez-It after Cheez-It, but in the end, yes, I'm full, but I'm full in the wrong way. Because I'm not satisfied. The Bible says he began to be in want. And then he ends up in that place called the pig pen. And he starts to do things we never thought were imaginable. It always goes that that direction. The Bible says the mighty famine rose up in verse 14. And he began to be in want. And so this famine began to increase. And then from there he found himself looking for a resource, something to fulfill his needs. So here we are in verse 15. He joined himself with a citizen of the country, and the citizen of the country said, I need you to go in the field, and this is all I've got for you. Feed the swine. You can even stay with the swine, the pigs, but that's it. So he goes to the field, he begins to eat with the pigs because he don't know what else to do. So he's taking the corn on the cob that's left over. He's taking the raw eggs and the smashed products that maybe from the meal that they were just had the night before and he's eating all of this. Now for some of us, we can't really fathom what that looks like. But this is a sheer picture of desperation to be fulfilled. What have you done to be fulfilled? What is it that makes you feel like you have life? What makes you feel like you have worth? Because sometimes what that is is defined as some of the most gruesome, ugliest things that you could ever experience. I can have the greatest relationship with my wife. Or I can choose to have somebody in my life that isn't my wife and think that's going to fulfill me. And it never does. It's ugly, it's disgusting, and it's not pleasant. So get this, I grew up in Arab, Alabama, Alabama. When I would go to my grandfather's house, I didn't literally grow up there. I stayed in Somerville, but I would go to Arab up in the hills and the mountains of, of Alabama. And my grandfather had this big farm, 270,000 chickens because it was a layer house. So I'd work in the chicken house, but he had all these pigs, right? And he had all, the, all these cows and lots and lots of acres. But my, da- my grandfather decided to put the pig pen next to the pond. And he didn't put a fence where the pond is because he thought, well, pigs can't swim. They can't fly. They can't swim. Yes, they can swim. Those little nubs of bacon, they swim really well. So the pigs would jump in the pond, and they swim across the pond, and then get back on land. And then we, would ha- we thought it was great. We'd chase the pigs down, put them back in. Pigs are mean, too. They bite. They bite really hard. And so we would put them back into the pig pen. And then I began to really hate pigs. So I would work in the chicken house, and thousands of eggs would come in on the conveyor belt. Thousands of eggs. And we had poop eggs, and we had clean eggs, and we had some weird, strange eggs, like little tiny eggs and some that had the no shell on it. It was just like a, a sack. It was weird. I don't know how to explain it. Anyway, so if they're freak eggs, we have to throw them in the bucket. If they're poop eggs, we had to throw them in another bucket and then they get washed. Here's the thing. There was a slop bucket, and there was a clean bucket. The slop bucket was for the pigs. And so, all right, you're a freak egg. You go in the bucket. You're a poo-poo egg that can't be, there's no redeeming you. You're so far gone. So we throw into the bucket. Didn't matter what I threw in the bucket. The pigs ate what was in the bucket. It didn't matter how bad it smelled. Didn't matter how bad it looked. The pigs ate that was in the bucket and i take it down to where the pigs are. And I hated going down there because it was like an acre in the back of... And it's 102 degrees outside because it's Alabama. And I'm going back there, and every time you go to where the pigs are, there is going to either be a rattlesnake or a water moccasin without fail because it was right by the pond. But rattlesnakes like being in the bushes... And the water moccasins like being on the edge of the pond. And water moccasins will bite you way faster than a rattlesnake. I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. Point being is simply this. I dump it in and all I could think of is this. You guys smell so bad, I'm about to puke in the bucket. I cannot fathom eating what you are eating. You know there's a distinct difference between the smell of a horse and the smell of a pig? Me and Ellie take country drives. She'll roll down the window and she cracks me up because she loves horses. And she'll go, Dad, you smell that? And I'm like, yeah, I do. It's doo-doo. It's horse manure. And she's like, I just love the smell of horse. I do not do that. <laughs> Maybe I took that to an nth degree, but... She's like, I smell the, the smell the smell of horse manure. Now, I will say, it is tempting compared to any other smell of manure. But there's a difference between pigs, horses, and even humans. They are in their own genre of stench. What would take a man to get to a point where he will dig in with the pigs, dip his hands in, consume it, regardless if he gets parasites, sickness, or disease? What would make a man go that far. I'm going to tell you what would make a man go that far. Just like me and you spiritually. Sin. It's called sin. And when you stop and you look around, you begin to realize, oh my goodness, I'm so desperate I've went this far. I've not only gone this far, but I'm this far away from my father. And now I am finding myself famished and forsaken. Because the Bible says in verse 16, and no man gave unto him. He was all By himself. That is the worst feeling ever. And then everything flipped. And this is the best part of this ugly, horrific story. Here he is in the pigs, eating, the Bible says in verse 16, what the pigs ate, until he filled his stomach with it. And then, he had what we call a God moment. In Luke chapter 15, in verse 17, the Bible says, "...and when he came to himself..." That is the most powerful portion of scripture in all of the book of Luke. He came to himself and he said, How many hired servants, as he's standing in the pig pen with nasty dripping from his fingers, does my father have? How much food does he have that he has even enough to spare? I mean, we're talking about an immense amount. And here I am settling for this. I chose to live this lifestyle? At that moment, when he came to himself, he realized that the pig pen of sin can bring some humility. And that's where he was. And I say that as a third point because you've got to realize when you get far enough away from your Heavenly Father, there will be a turning point. Either you'll go further or you'll have a God moment of humility and say, I can't do this any longer. Now watch. At that very moment, he makes a decision. He said, I will arise, in verse 18, and I'll go to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. That means against God and against you. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'll I'll be a servant. Just forgive me and accept me. And so he has made this decision, which means this. This is so good. It brought him to the remembrance of the father. The very remembrance of what his father has done for him made him remember how important it was to go back to him. He began to say, my father has everything I ever needed. Why did I leave that? You know, when you get away from God, <clears throat> just take a moment in the midst of your filth and the nasty decision you made, whether it be your pornography, whether it be your adultery, whether it be your, 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 your consumption with all your anger and your bitterness and all the discord that's in your life in the craziness in your family, just stop in the midst of all that filth and start remembering what it was like when you were actually with God. When you actually got up in the morning and dug in the Word of God with a cup of coffee. When you actually stopped and prayed for people other than yourself. Do you remember that? Do you remember how good it felt to have the blessings of God when you'd give in your tithes? you give a little bit and all of a sudden you got something back. God says, I'm going to give you something. It's called a blessing. Focus here because this is where we are sometimes. We finally get to this point where we come to ourselves and we remember what the father had for us. And all of a sudden, we see in the midst of that remembrance a father's comfort. I mean, you're thinking to yourself, he had everything I could ever need. There was complete comfort in my father. I loved, loved going home, loved going home on a a long weekend when I was in college. And my friends would go with me. So my mom would buy all kinds of groceries. Because I felt like I never ate in school. It was never enough. I was never happy. But the fulfillment of the comfort I got at home was amazing, you know? One time I was so hungry, Crown College was just developing, so it was a small school and there was not a whole lot of security, if you would. And I was like, I need to get some food. You know, I need to get some food. So I I know they keep these little lunches, these sack lunches, inside the walk-in cooler. And I know they owe me at least 10 of those because I've missed out on dinner for the last five weeks. So I thought, I'm going to take the liberty to go in that walk-in cooler, take what I want, go back to the dorm, and feed on that for the next three days. Out of all days, this is, this is crazy, this happened. I have no idea why the president of Crown College decided to be in the cafeteria at 10 o'clock at night on this. this in, <clears throat> here I am, like a fat kid. I'm in the walk-in cooler with bags of sack lunches, and I'm, I decide to eat one at that very moment because I was so, so hungry, and it was like I just got caught like a mouse with a piece of cheese, and the door opens on the walk-in cooler, and there is Dr. Clarence Sexton, the president of the college, staring at me like, what are you doing, you fat little kid? I was 19 years old, and I said, I'm really hungry, and that's all I had to say, and I said, they owe me about five of these sack lunches. <laughs> And he said, just take the lunch and go back to the dorm. I have no idea why you're even in here. The point is, it made no sense at all. But at that moment, I was so desperate for that fulfillment. I was going to do whatever it takes to get fulfilled and bring that back to the dorm. And I didn't care what anybody thought or said about me. But when I went home, I never had to worry about anything like that. Because my mom had the fridge stocked. My dad was always making sure we had everything we need because there was comfort there. When you get to that point and you realize, man, there's so much better. Waiting for me when I'm with God than when I'm with friends that are pulling me away. When I'm constantly tempted with premarital sex. I'm t- constantly tempted with filthy pornography. And I'm constantly tempted with bitterness and anger. Man, it's so easy to live in bitterness and anger. Check it out. Is it easier to complain or rejoice? I love to complain. I complain so much that I find myself driving and stopping in myself in the midst of complaining and saying... Is it that big of a deal that that guy took a little longer to turn? Is it that big of a deal that I didn't have enough ice in my drink from Starbucks? Is it really the end of the world? It's just easy to go that direction. And through all of this, this reality of the father's comfort, he began to put everything together and he said, man, what my father has compared to what sin has is distinctly different. He looks over at the citizen in verse 15 and he says, why am I serving this guy? And then then he looks at himself and he's thinking to himself, why am I so hungry? Why am I living this way? And then he looks at the the fact that he wasted everything and he's standing in waste, literally, the smell of the swine and living with that. He said, this is enough. And then that moment, that God moment I told you about happens in verse 18. I will arise and go to my father. You know what that's called? Admitting to your sin. You ever had a God moment? A God moment is when you can't do it any longer your way. Y'all ready? Ready? You're going to stop. One preacher said he dropped the pail, he jumped the rail, he hit the trail. But what if he hit the trail, went halfway, and turned back around because he thought, maybe there's something better. I'm I'm going to go back. And I've done that. I've gotten where I was like, I'm going to get back on track. I'm going to get back in my devotions. I'm going to get back on spiritual living. I'm going to get back. I'm going to get back. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, but... I don't know what it was about that corn on the cob that the pigs were eating. I think I'm going to go try that one more time. What is it? Why? Because we're human beings. And human beings allow their flesh to control them more than the will of God. And we drift back. But that's not what happened with him. He didn't get halfway down the trail. He didn't go back. He left and intentionally went forward because he admitted he had sinned. If, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the first step you have to take is admit that you are a sinner. That you have sin in your life and you can't take it away. The second step is acknowledging you're unworthy of forgiveness. That Jesus loves you right where you're at. And all you have to do is quit trying. Quit trying. Quit trying. (sighs) Rest. Because you can't do it on your own. You give it to him. And so that's what he did. He said, I admit, I acknowledge. And then he arose. You know what arising from your place of of, of sin is? It's called repentance, repentance, repentance. Repentance means I'm no longer going this way. I'm going to start going this way. The problem with so many people is they think they're on their way to heaven, but they never repented of their sin. Your religion will not get you in the pearly gates. Your baptism will not get you into heaven. The only thing that will ever get you into heaven is simply this. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived, he died, and rose again. And admit that you're a sinner. And ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and quit going your way and start going God's way. That is a God moment. I was in Resaca, Georgia when I was 16 years old. I was around 16. And I remember this, well, I'll never forget it. There was a preacher preaching on young and anointed. He was specifically talking to those in the crowd that were young men. It broke me. I mean it broke me. I had a God moment. A God moment which meant I was tired of living this lifestyle of nonchalant Christianity. Y'all ready for this? I didn't just cry, I was weeping. You ever know you know the difference, right? He called for people to come and just pray. I got out of my seat, I went to the front, I got on my knees. I was praying so hard and crying so hard. I couldn't stop snotting. I couldn't stop crying. I was barely breathing. I mean, it tore me up from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. That is a God moment. When you are so shaken, you don't want to do anything other than what God wants. That's called repentance and changing. And that's the only way you can get back to the Father. And that's where I'm going to close because the pig pen of sin ended with the Heavenly Father. In this case, with His Father. He arose and came to his father. Whoa, this is crazy. It's been years. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Wow, four things. He had compassion, he ran, fell on his neck, and he kissed him. Wow, this is the father in showing love in a way nobody else could understand. The father met him where he was. I'll tell you, if you're at that point, as I close, where you think you can't turn around what you've done, I'm going to tell you, he's just waiting, just like you saw in that video, and the flags are out, if if you would, the sheets are flying, and he's just waiting, and he's looking, and he's wanting you to come back. If you're a Christian, you got away from God, and you're living in sin, he's just saying, please, come on, come on, come on. This is the first time in Jewish history that we see in record that the, the God Almighty is represented as a father that is running. Never, ever been recorded. That's how passionate Jesus was about this story. He's trying to say, no matter how far you go, God Almighty is willing to run to where you're at. And he's going to fall on your neck and kiss you. So what's the significance of that? In Jewish history, if you've rebelled against your father and you try to go back, the likelihood of being accepted is next to never. And the father would make a decision to either step on your neck or kiss it. If he steps on your neck, he'll use the same words Jesus used on the cross to tell us die. It is finished. You're done. You're never to come back here again. Or he'd fall on the neck and kiss it, which represented acceptance. The Bible speaks of greeting thy brother with a holy kiss. That means I accept you and invite you in. The son lays on the ground outside of the courtyard and he says to him, I am not worthy. And the father ignores everything he says, falls on his neck, kisses him, picks him up, and then the son gives his spill. Make me a higher servant. I've sinned against you and, and, and in God. You notice the Father says? Nothing. Nothing. He doesn't debate. He doesn't argue. He doesn't he doesn't create conflict. He just says this. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Get a ring and put it on his hand, shoes on his feet, and, and take the fatted calf and and, and kill it, because we're gonna feast. Because when you get right with God, he's not gonna rekindle what you've went through. He's not your spouse. He's not going to bring up three weeks, which uh, in three weeks what you did three weeks ago. Like, do you remember when you did that? You remember? That's not the way God works, because God loves you for where you're at, and He forgets. As far as the east is from the west, that's where your sin is when you repent. And this is that beautiful moment because the robe represented this precious comfort as He put it around him. The ring, when it was placed on the son's hands, to say you're still a part of my family. This represents your part of the family you don't get reborn in the family of God when you mess up you just get right with God that's called a relationship and then he said put shoes on his feet why shoes because he didn't have any no because only servants don't wear shoes you're the son you wear shoes and I want you to remember not just because you have the ring on I want you to remember every time you put your feet in these slippers that you belong to this family and you always will And then he said, we're going to feast. And that feast was meant for the Day of Atonement. It was special. But this was an atonement day because the son came home. I'm going to have Victor play a little bit on the guitar. I don't even feel led for us to sing. I feel led for you just to listen for a minute with your head bowed and eyes closed for a minute. Would you just do that out of respect for the person next to you? And as he begins to play, my question is simple. I just I just want to know where you at. Where are you at? Three types of people in this room right now. You're a Christian and you're right where you need to be with the heavenly Father. You're a Christian and you drifted away from the Father. Or you're a non-Christian if you never accepted the Father. You're not even a, you're not even a part of the family. First I want to ask those that are Christians. Are you where you need to be with the Father. In other words, you're right where you need to be. Can you be honest before me and God? Nobody looking. Say, I'm right where I need to be with God. I'm right with God right now. Would you raise your hand high? Don't, that's okay. That's good. Nobody's looking. Thank you. How about, how about the second category? You're like, you know, I'm at a point right now and I can't even explain it. I just can't explain it. I'm just really far away from God. I don't, I, I, I just, I've made some decisions and it's just not the greatest decisions and I feel so alone. And I don't want to be there. I want to come back. I want to get right. I just want to get back where I need to be. I am a Christian, but I'm not where I need to be as a Christian. Is there anybody like that? Would you raise your hand? You know, nobody's looking. That's cool. I'm with you. I am so with you. Thank you. There's one more. You've never accepted Jesus Christ. You say all this religion and stuff, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's so weird. It's just, I, I'm, I, I don't know what to make of it. I get you. I hate religion. Hope you do too. But I love truth. Because the truth sets you free. And Jesus Christ said He's the way, the truth, and the life. And He's the only way to the Father, which means heaven. You say, well, I think that's just something made up to make people feel better. Well, that's your free will. You can do that. But I'm going to tell you something. There's hope in Jesus Christ. And if you give Him a chance, He'll change your life. Because He wants to be your Heavenly Father. I, I, I truly believe that. He wants a relationship with you, and it's going to matter if you give your life to Him. But it's simple. If that's where you're at and you're not a Christian, you've never given your life to Christ, the first thing you need to do is what the prodigal son did. you just got to admit you're a sinner. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, that means you're just like everybody else. you you, you're, you got things in your life that are not right and they're contrary to the Bible, and that's life. You know, Nobody had to teach you to lie, steal, You just sometimes have done those things because it naturally comes to you. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So what does that mean? That means you can't believe there's multiple ways into heaven. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and life, and you have to believe that He is. And you just confess that to Him in your own words, in your seat, with your own mouth quietly, God, I'm asking you to save me. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He lived, He died, He rose again. And by faith, I'm asking you to come into my life. Faith. Everybody in here has it. You can believe in whatever you want, but I'm asking you, would you believe in absolute truth? Would you give Jesus Christ a chance to change your life?